You are listening to the Practicing the Art of Small Business podcast with Shannon Merlo and Julie Parker. Enjoy this conversation about business, leadership, and the self-awareness journey to great success. Welcome, listeners. Welcome, Julie. Practicing the Art of Small Business. I do believe we're on to episode 33, Julie. 33. Gosh, they count up, don't they? It's legs 11 times three. <laughs> it is. Yeah, there's only two of us. Huh. <laughs> Awkward. Julie, I believe that you are driving the topic today. Mm. Tell us what we're talking about and why we are talking about it. I am in the driver's seat today. I have requested mm-hmm. to speak about this because in my work, this has been raised as people who are placed in or are in positions of authority within their team, but no one's doing what they ask them to do. <laughs> so they are having <laughs> trouble really building that level of authority within their team. And so I thought this would be a bonzer topic, something that many small business operators and people within organisations that are small businesses, I think this would be a common one. Mm. So how do we get authorita? authorita? <laughs> and for those for those people who are older than, I don't know, 35, <laughs> the, have the authorita, um, you'd know where that comes from. That's a South Park reference. And you have no idea, Shannon, how often I have been repeating that in my head this morning as I was just doing some very brief research and I kept thinking of having Cartman Respect my authority because it's so (laughs) hilarious. But it does bring us to that very initial point that I wanted to quickly raise, and that was what's the difference between obeying authority and respecting authority? And I like that. You know, we sometimes obey particular laws (laughs) that our state and our governments put out to us, but we don't necessarily respect them. And I think that's been the case with a lot of the introduction of new laws and temporary laws around the lockdowns and things. A lot of people were just doing them because they were told to do them. They didn't necessarily respect the motivational reasons or impact of those laws, but they still obeyed them because we need to obey certain authorities within our world. Yet respecting Mm -hmm. authority is a wildly different thing because respect is more coming from a space of admiration uh, rather Mm -hmm. than just doing something because you're told to do it. And I'm guessing within a workplace context, we really want to be in that respectful mm. authority place other than, than than the alternative, which is the obeying authority place, because I'm guessing, if I'm thinking about myself, that resentment comes in when I'm obeying simply because I have to, as compared to I actually genuinely think that that's a great idea, I like where you're coming from, and I'm on the bus. Yeah, completely, Shannon, completely. Because I think that, that some small business operators, as you know, all business operators, can fall into that trap of, I own a business now, now people just have to do what I tell them to do. It's like that old tradesman kind of mentality. You know, back from years ago, I was, you know, forgive the term, I was a shit kicker when I was an apprentice, so now I get to employ apprentices and they can be my shit kickers as well. And... Mm. Through the evolution of time and the maturity of the people involved, we have all come to that theory, that correct theory, that people are much more motivated to work when they actually respect 
the authority, respect their work that they're doing rather than just obeying for obeying sake. And so to, as a business owner, to get out of that mental space of people just have to do what I tell them to do because I pay them, they will mm-hmm. have that will generate a completely different kind of performance from the people that they work with. Mm. And I think what's useful, what keeps coming up it, for me is uh, for our audience who, if you've just stumbled across Julie and my dulcet tones, <laughs> quite often we spend a very long time researching each podcast episode prior to us starting pressing the record button. <laughs> nope. <laughs> we go, we go, what's going on in your world? Mm, this sort of things. And one of the things that we brought up is this idea of the employee market. And we're not going to go into that today, but I think the narrative around just do it because I say so isn't going to fly in the market from now on, but particularly with the market being so tight, if people are not respecting you as a leader in the organisation and you're expecting people to obey you simply because you're in the position, they're not going to and they'll find somewhere else because the market is just dictating that. So I think even more so we need to be conscious of this idea of how do we get authority from a place of respect and mutual generosity? Yeah. I'm making that word up. (laughs) No, that's a real word. You haven't made that up. That's been around for a little while. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I am not an English, 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 oh my God. So that we're coming from a place of mutual benefit. Nice, nice. Yeah, absolutely. So Shannon, now that we've determined and decided upon the kind of authority that we're looking for to generate mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. of respectful authority because <laughs> they mm-hmm. actually admire the person that's directing their behaviour. Mm -hmm. and the reasons behind it. Let me go through some of the terrific ideas that came out when I was doing a wee bit of research. And I haven't really thought about any of them in particular because I thought, oh, we can do the thinking and the speaking during the episode recording. So That's what makes this so beautiful. (laughs) So number one, and I thought this was a very good one to have because there can be confusion around this, get clear on your level of authority. Like the level of authority that the position dictates, is that the same in your head? Is that the same as what the owner or your boss is has in their mind to give you as well? And we always talk about the need for clarity. <laughs> so we all are all mm-hmm. on the same page. And I think that that's a very good starting point. Let's discuss between the boss and the person who is the, has the authority or for the boss themselves, if they're the one having trouble with the authority, Write down, what, is, what does the authority position look like? Mm. I think that's really useful, especially as a, an organisation starts to grow. If you've, you've started off as a solopreneur and you're starting to bring people in and then you hire a general manager or what have you, I think that, that who, who, does, who do people go to, who has decision-making power, all of those sorts of things can be a little bit difficult to, on one level, determine. And on another level, if that business owner is no longer the be all and end all of authority, you've got another level in there for the business owner to grow and let go of their need for their own authority. Yeah. So I think, I think definitely understanding the level of authority and what that level means is really important. 
I agree. And I've certainly seen this in dental practices where the dental practice owner takes on a practice manager for the first time. Mm. They are mm. not used to the process of delegating out authority. And so what can mm-hmm. happen is they say to the practice manager, I want you to be in charge of these things. I'm going to make you accountable to these <laughs> things. But then that practice manager tries to display that authority, but then gets questioned constantly by the practice owner. And Charles Covetz, <laughs> my very awesome husband, and he has worked in all sorts of self-aware spaces for decades and decades, he states that accountability without authority equals frustration. Mm, I love that. Can we repeat that for us? Yes, I can. Please. Accountability without authority equals frustrations. And so if you are, as a manager are going to be made accountable for the results that you generate, yet you are not given authority to control the environment with which those results are being generated, you will be eternally frustrated. Mm, I think that's beautiful and a really great place to sp- to start, particularly if there is that butting of heads in authority levels. And I think especially in that case where you've got that practice manager or a general manager coming in, if you as a business owner haven't dealt with your own control issues, let's call them, (laughs) that's really going to impact the reason why you got this person in there in the first place. Because I'm assuming you didn't bring that person in to affect the business negatively. You wanted to have less work. You wanted to have less people reporting to you. You wanted to be more strategic. You wanted to be less on the tools. If you're holding on to all of the control and all of the authority, then you won't achieve that goal. So you've got to deal with your internal issues in order to make sure that the goals of bringing that person in can be achieved. Absolutely. And depending on the level of influence you have in an organisation, if you are at the level where you are a manager of others or manager of business or the owner, you have got high capabilities. Mm-hmm. And the, the higher your capabilities, the more autonomy that you need in your role to remain happy. So the mm-hmm. one end of the spectrum is your McDonald's employee. They come in 15 years old, fresh and green, don't know how to be professional, don't know how to work as an employee, don't know how to obey or have not had the chance to start respecting authority around them. And so that has a very low level of autonomy. They are told how to do things in the systems. You don't think outside of the systems. We don't need your fresh ideas. (laughs) We just need you to get in there (laughs) and do the things. You're a human machine, a human robot, you know, in in essence. For the record, I don't think I'd be very good at McDonald's. I'm pretty sure I'd want to, like, creatively adjust what the Big Mac. What if we put this on it? (laughs) Oops. No one needs that much meat. Let's halve those patties down. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, continue. And so, and that's all totally appropriate that that's the way because McDonald's employees who come in at 15 years old, they don't have the training, the experience, the expertise to be able to offer anything else at that level yet. Everyone's got Mm -hmm. the potential to offer an enormous amount. But then at the other end of the spectrum, if we're talking about a business owner, they have complete authority over everything that they do. Mm -hmm. They've become expert in whatever field they have 
worked in and that's why they've become an entrepreneur or a business owner and they've got control over all these things. But then all the people that they employ under them have varying degrees of expertise and experience. And so to be able to give the appropriate level of of autonomy for the role is important. And when we're talking about giving people authority, there is a giving of authority. I used to have it. I used to be accountable for this. I used to be able to make decisions around this. I still can. I've got too much on my plate now because we're growing. I need to give this to you now. So you were talking before about how we hire and goodness me, we need to hire very smartly if we are going to be hiring people for a position of authority within our business because we need to trust their expertise and their experience and their wisdom and their insights to be able to make the decisions that may not have been our decisions. We may not agree with some of these decisions, but are you going to extend that autonomy out? Mm. I feel like there could be a episode 33A because I feel like this discussion around how do you give authority and autonomy when you're transitioning new levels into new management levels into the business. I think that that's potentially a podcast in and of itself. And I'm concerned that we're going to get bogged down um, and not actually deal with the 11 other ways of how do you get authority <laughs> in the business. And let's hope that every point doesn't deserve so much discussion. Otherwise, we are going to have another 11 episodes kick off this one. Let's That's okay. We'll have 33B and then 33C. <laughs> You've got 26 letters to choose from. I love it. <laughs> well, the next point on my list, lovely Shannon, is and this comes back down, this is, you know, this is not as large a thinking, but this is very useful thinking. As if you are trying to build authority and have people respect your authority, you're not always going to have the answers in the moment. So let's come up with a phrase that you say when you don't yet have the answer to something. So if someone comes to you as a person of authority and say, what do I do about this? This has happened. We need a solution here. I'm presenting this issue. I don't know the answer, which is why I'm coming to you. And you may not have the answer straight away either. But if you just said, no, I don't know what to do, (laughs) that's not going to help build authority. So a very Mm -hmm. useful step is to come up with a phrase that you say in the moment that will build towards your authority and give you that chance to go away and contemplate and come up with great solutions. So I'm guessing like Beetlejuice is not a good (laughs) phrase (laughs) to use. Again, you are really speaking to a demographic of age. (laughs) You say it to some people, they won't know what the hell you're saying. I'm going to assume assume that our audience is of the more Gen X and older (laughs) uh, demographic. I do relate far better to them, yes. But if you're a millennial, Gen Z, Gen whatever, um, feel free to school me. I'm happy to learn. That's it. The equivalent of that word. Yeah. So given that Beetlejuice probably isn't a good phrase, (laughs) Beetlejuice, what would be a good phrase, do you think, Julie? Well, one I use, I actually did this when I had my practice because you start to, at the very start, you think I should really have all the answers to everything and then you quickly realize it. You don't. And you also Mm -hmm. quickly realize it. If you just give yourself a chance to go for a bit of a walk on your drive home, you're contemplating things, all of a sudden the answers just kind of pop up in our brains. Quite often they pop up in our in my brain in the morning. So if I go to bed thinking, oh, I need a solution to this thing, hand that solution over through my brain <laughs> through the night, I do wake up in those very early waking moments thinking of all these different solutions and I think, oh, my gosh, 
I'm more brilliant asleep than I'm awake. That's a trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so Julie has some openings for her 6 a.m. coaching sessions <laughs> as she's just yeah. waking yeah. up. Still in the gym jams, but anyway, <laughs> it's very casual, <laughs> these sort of meetings. And so what I used to say was, this is a really interesting issue and I want to make sure I give it proper thought. So let's meet up again in a day, in a week, or I'll come back to you uh, with some ideas on how to solve it. I love that. Mm. I think I would I think I would say something along the lines of I'm not sure. Mm. But but I am I really want to come back to you like same same sort of thing. I want to come back to you, but let me let me give me 24 hours yeah. and I will come Meet back to you. Give me my bedroom tomorrow morning first thing. <laughs> <laughs> Call me at 6 a.m. I'm bound to. And I will just <laughs> I will just roll off the solution. But I, I do actually think it's an important thing to note that when we are put in positions of authority and in a new environment, we're often really afraid to say that we don't know. Yeah. But that can create a culture where it's actually okay to not be pretending, mm. that it's okay to not know, and that we build a culture of finding things out and being proactive and learning new things and learning from our mistakes. So I think that there's a real opportunity in that phrase. And... Just because, and recognising yourself, just because you don't have the answer in an instant doesn't mean you don't have the answer. It just takes thought to get mm. there. You just need to work mm. a few things out in the brain. You're still coming up with these brilliant solutions. And if not, you're, you know, you're sharing your wisdom, incorporating with other people's ideas when you're brainstorming a solution. But quite often you come up with a solution yourself. You just need to give your brain time to think about all the different elements to it. And so never mm. think to yourself, I don't have the answer for that. Just think, mm. oh, the answer's there, hasn't come to me yet. I also think that in terms of building respect, actually involving the person in the solution mm. is useful as well. Yeah. It also will, from an up-or-down uh, up perspective, I don't know, but you don't know, but if we work together, we'll both figure it out and work on it together. So then you're actually empowering your team to come up with the solutions themselves. So there, I think that there's opportunity there as well to not just, uh, uh, in my in my reality, I believe that it doesn't have to be on you to make that final decision um, or to come up with the solution. Your team probably has a solution there if they've been there for a long time anyway so and that's very much yeah. coming from the respectful authority than rather than the obey authority the obey authority is saying this is my decision whether you like it or not this is what you're doing whereas the respect yeah. authority is what do you guys think as well and this is the thought that i had does this look like a solution to you what give me your feedback mm -hmm. yeah i like yeah. it i like it another one is fake it till you make it <laughs> I love, making, <laughs> I love making it till we make it because we often have a thought that I need to be really competent at something before I can exhibit confidence in rolling that thing out. However, when we're talking about authority, we are on a constant never-ending journey of being very good people managers, very good solutions providers and, and very good managers of the business. And if you're the owner, being the owner of the business too, it's a constant never-ending improvement journey. We never actually get to the point where we say, oh, look, I am now perfect. <laughs> I'm 44. <laughs> Who knew I could do it so quick? I have nothing else to learn. We're always improving along the journey. And so 
we can afford to allow ourselves to fake it before we make it and and exhibit a level of confidence in our own abilities. We've got confidence in what we can achieve right now, but we've also got confidence on what we can achieve as we grow on day after day, issue after issue, solution after solution, and we are confident in ourselves that we're growing into that role. So why not be confident mm. about it? And we don't, you know, employees don't want to have extreme doubt about anything that you've got to say because you sound so unsure yourself. Mm. At the very least, whatever decision you're going to make, back it, back yourself and be confident in yes. that. Yes. There's two thoughts that I have on that one. Mm. One is I do want to bring up one of my favourite things for the for the season is the Dunning-Kruger effect, which I'm sure I've mentioned before, and that is the idea that the more you know, the more you realise you don't know. Is that the Dunning-Kruger? Dunning-Kruger? Dunning. Dunning. D-U-N-N-I-N-G-K-R-U-G-E-R. I've heard of it, Again. but I haven't heard of it being referred to as a Dunning-Kruger. So now I'm going to start sounding more confident and smart. Just like well, Shannon that's- does. <laughs> 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 Written it down. Well, the beauty of this is that the more expert you are, the more you realize that there's no definite answer because you learn, as you learn new things and new ways of solving problems, you you learn that there are lots of ways to solve problems. There's lots of ways to, and for the record, I do not skin cats. <laughs> I have a very old cat. I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. But there's lots of ways to skin a cat. There's lots of new creative solutions that we can come up with. And the more experienced you are and the more humble you are in terms of that knowledge, the more that you can kind of go, well, I don't know, could be this way, could be that way, let's workshop it. But I think if you can approach it from the perspective of, I want you to be empowered to be able to make these decisions. So let's work through it together because there's different ways for us to deal with this. I think that there's opportunity there. And the other thing that I wanted to say, and I kind of seeded it just before, was I agree faking it till you're making it is is good. However, in management these days, we are talking a lot more about vulnerability and humility. Now, I mean that from the perspective of that humility as a leadership quality of kind of saying, I am, I am human. And we, I might not know all the answers and that's okay because you don't know all the answers either and that's okay as well, but we're going to get there together. So I wonder whether, yes, there is a faking it to you making it because if your team doesn't have confidence in you, then you've got no chance of authority. But I think that there's ways of getting confidence through humility and through vulnerability. I love it. I love it. And it reminds me of a short presentation that I did see once ages ago. It's one of those things that's always stuck in my head. And I was researching this because there are a couple of people in conflict in a dental team that I was working with. And I've experienced this myself. You may have experienced it also, Shannon. When one of those parties, if they are in conflict with one another, if one of those parties says, you know what, 
the reason I'm so upset with you is because when you said this particular thing, it made me feel like I was useless. It made me feel like I, you had no faith in me, no trust in me. And it was, it was a little girl part of me that said, no, like I am worth something. So I do apologize. I've responded to you aggressively, but that's where I was coming. That's the thing that was triggering it for me. I hate using the word trigger. Now that was the thing that is <laughs> that, that, that had that response be the result. And the minute you show that level of vulnerability, the other side normally doesn't take advantage of it and attack even further. It, they normally mm -hmm. show empathy. And this is what this speaker said. When vulnerability shows up, empathy is normally its pal. Mm. And I love that. I love that. Anyway, it's kind of going mm. off topic a little bit again. <laughs> no, but I think, I think that I'm not disagreeing with the fake it till you make it because I do want to reiterate that confidence is confidence breeds faith in the authority but confidence comes from also showing empathy and listening and understanding that we are not gods and our egos aren't always in control mm. and the more that we actually let go of our own need for our own validations and listen to the people around us the more that we get confidence through people through the through human connection yeah because we're, we're, we're achieving effective outcomes, successful outcomes because of that. Yeah. That's the, that's the tactic that we've chosen to use. And that's what builds confidence, successful outcomes in our actions, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The next point was, and I like this one, avoid having anger or upset be your response to scenarios or events. And I think that, that, that rings true to me for authority, that when you're a person in authority, that it is good to exhibit reasonable responses, thoughtful responses, rather than reacting emotionally to situations. Mm. We, I love how we've done this, uh, Julie. One of the other topics that we were potentially talking about was about profiling. And I do think that there is opportunity when you know yourself and you know what your drivers are in conflict situations, be they emotional or personality or what have you, then you're more empowered to make a better decision in the way that you respond to scenarios. So if your natural propensity is to attack a person because your natural personality style is a little bit defensive and you don't like criticism, if you see anything as criticism, you may be more likely to attack the person. If you know this about yourself, then you can set up those stop gaps of, okay, in the scenario where I am feeling threatened or I am feeling that someone is criticizing me, I need to be the bigger person here. I can't project my pain and hurt and childhood traumas <laughs> to this person who's, who is looking to me for stability. What do I do instead? Yeah. Or if my natural tendency is to uh, be, to actually not attack instead of anger, in anger, I actually retreat and I don't like confrontation at all so I never actually deal with it so then the person is tiptoeing around me yeah. if I'm aware that these are my natural sort of tendencies in conflict then you you as a leader you're more able to mitigate that and to be able to prevent your natural reaction which then builds trust in your authority as a leader 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the key. Sometimes people can uh, have a response and they go, oh, that was unhelpful. I reacted badly. You know, I, I, you know, I broke down in tears. I shouldn't have. <laughs> I screamed at the person. I shouldn't have. I punched them. I shouldn't have. I get it. <laughs> but then, and they, but they, they stop there and they just live in regret or shame. or And what the useful thing step to take is, okay, well, what outcome did I want? I want that person to respect my authority in the moment. So therefore, what should my have response have been? Let me roll that over my head a couple of times, maybe practice it out loud, saying that thing out loud a few times. And then I'm going to make an assurance to myself, next time that sort of situation arises, I'm going to try to get that reaction happening instead. Otherwise, we're just caught in the moment again, and we go straight to mm -hmm. impulse because we've got no other more chosen response to roll out. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah. Okay. Number five. Number five is alive five. again. No, you're counting. You're very, good. You're good. One, this two, is a very, three. very old five. reference uh, to another very, very old movie. Do you, did you ever watch Number Five is Alive? No, I did not. Oh my goodness, that was um. Gosh, I can't remember. It was about robots. I'll find it. It was very I can't believe fun. I don't know it. Mm. What right, year were you born in? <laughs> 79. Oh, 79. You can say that out loud. I was born in 70, for God's sakes. <laughs> okay, hang on. Short Circuit was a movie. Oh, Short Circuit. I remember Short Circuit. Film. Pardon? Thank you. Uh, it was 1986 film. 1986. See, I was 16 years old. I was off partying, man, you know. <laughs> Being See, I was, I was loose like, and fancy free, <laughs> <laughs> running around with boys and bad influences. <laughs> so the next one, so we, up, we are up to number five, are we? Yes, according to my counting, but I'm very happy <laughs> one, two, to. One, two, three, four, five. Yes, you, you are correct, correct. Number five <laughs> is stop worrying about being liked. Say that again. Stop worrying about being liked. And so what, no, no, are you attacking me? I'm a bit concerned here that you don't like me anymore, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> I can't act like an authority figure. I'm too busy trying to be liked. <laughs> because that's what happens when you're in a position of authority, true authority, where you are making decisions, you're making a call, you are directing behaviours and actions. They're not always going to be popular with everybody. And so mm. if you are more concerned about providing the likable option or being liked from the people around you, it will absolutely impact the authority with which you direct their behaviour and make decisions around their things that will actually impact them as well. I think that's one of the big issues with new leaders and even existing leaders, mm -hmm. that fear that I I have to manage someone and they're not going to like me at the end of it. It's huge. And I wonder whether there's lots of personality things that we can go into, but I find stacking a bit of pain on clients of if this continues to happen and you don't, you don't take affirmative action, what is the next one month, six months, 12 months going to be like with this employee. So if you can pull yourself out of your position of uncomfortability now, put yourself in uncomfortability in 12 months time when you haven't actually made the decision. If you continue to behave in this way where you're afraid of people not liking you, 
what's the impact of that going to be in 12 months time? Mm. How are behaviors going to continue to manifest because you haven't nipped them in the bud? Yeah. And how often do you hear employees say, I've just had some feedback from my boss, my manager, about something that's been bothering them for six months. Why didn't they tell me something about this before? And so it's not Mm -hmm. fair to the employee either to have trouble with this particular point. Definitely. I think also looking at that bigger picture, what are the goals of our organisation? What are our priorities in this organisation? What are our values? If you can pull it away from your own personal challenges of I'm afraid to, I'm afraid to reinforce these rules because I'm afraid I'm not going to be liked and think about it from the organisational perspective. We don't believe in that behaviour because it doesn't align with our organisational values. That behaviour affects our strategic priorities and our goals in our business. Therefore, it can't continue. Then you're not making about you and your problems. You're making it about the organisation and what's acceptable behaviour within the organisation. Yeah. Because you are the representative of that organisation, whether you're the business owner or the person of authority, you Mm -hmm. in that space, you are the representative of the business, not representative of the friendship, (laughs) representative of the business. You're the voice of the business. Mm. And I read this quote somewhere. You may have read it too, uh, but, you know, I'm not here. I'd rather be here to be respected rather than be here to be liked and to Mm. have that, that difference in your head. It's more important I think the to be other respected thing, than liked, yeah. Mm, I think the other thing about the not being liked, a lot of leaders that I've worked with are afraid of that not being liked, but actually you can generate a huge amount of respect by going into these conversations, not with the idea it's, that it's going to be a conflict. A, a conflict. <laughs> a conflict. <laughs> a conflict, but it's just a conversation. You're giving them feedback. You're teaching them how to operate in a more effective way within the business context. That can actually be really empowering conversation between you and another team member so it doesn't have to be a difficult conversation Hmm. that's it and these sort of things that we deem as difficult conversations I've always been very surprised at how few difficult conversations you need to embrace and follow through with before you start getting a whole lot more comfortable with them for me it's always been three four difficult conversations oh feeling I don't stress so much about it I don't lose sleep the night before it's not on my mind constantly until I have that difficult conversation now you know it's just a part of the things that you do being in a position of authority yeah and I think also in my experience with myself and my clients, most of the time the lead-up to the conversation is far more powerful than the conversation. So I'll follow up with the client, how did you go? You know what? It was really good. We're really on the same page. I'm feeling really, they're really empowered. I'm really happy. And I'm like, then why do we spend (laughs) so long? (laughs) So I think that, um, I think that that not being liked is more of a internal thing. And there's lots of opportunities there and it does build authority when you're more direct. Yeah. In a loving way. Totally agree. Totally agree. We are up to number six. Yes, we are. Thank oh, you. Sorry, I couldn't read my I couldn't read my writing. 
<laughs> Number six, get rid of word fillers. This is a good one. You and I have done Toastmasters in the past. and um, I'm not sure what you mean. So, <laughs> no, but like, right. I'm okay with it. Um, but if you could, um, you know, so like give me some like more information, that would be um, uh, like really helpful. You know, Shannon, basically you sound like uh, so confident. <laughs> <laughs> and so getting rid of those word fillers is so good for so many different things. They have zero benefit to your conversation, to your authority, to your communication skills, to your rapport building skills. And they, when you can get over them, all of a sudden you sound so much more adequate, competent, etc. And one of the things that I learned very young by the fantastic Harry Lou. What a magnificent mentor he was for me at Bayside Toastmasters. He said, you'll get rid of your filler words if you slow down. The minute you slow down your speech, you'll start to choose the words you use. And it's wonderful advice. So even though we may <laughs> sound a little bit slow. <laughs> I think that's a really good point. I think that if you are a leader it is really important to understand and practice your words because you can inspire with your words. And that's one of the big things that we need to do as a leader is actually inspire our teams to yeah. be better, do better. If we can articulate ourselves in a way that connects with our team members in the way that they need to hear it and they respect that communication, then we're going to get better outcomes from them. If we are stumbling over our words, lacking confidence, so when we're using filler words, it actually comes across as lacking confidence. So if we are doing that, our team members are less likely to actually follow through with what we want because they're going to be stuck on it. I actually, to be fair, I was listening to someone who was presenting once and this person was supposed to be a leader in their field and a keynote speaker. I actually started counting their filler words and sent them a follow-up email saying, I don't know if you're aware of it, but within the 10 minutes that I was tracking you, you used, uh, I think they used right 30 times. <laughs> wow. I was like, come on. Oh, it's honey. a bug, isn't it? And I don't know if it's Toastmasters that did this to me. <laughs> <laughs> or what? But basically, right, you know, I, I prefer um. <laughs> it, it, is, it makes it very difficult to think and contemplate on what the person is talking about because you become quite distracted by the difficulties in getting their message out clearly and articulately, yes. as you said. If you're aware that you are potentially using filler words, you can engage someone that you trust within the organization to do the count, the Toastmasters count. So when you're in meetings, have them engage with you to do markings of how many times you're using um or basically or right or right like or like now or what, whatever your filler words are so that you, there becomes conscious awareness that that's actually happening. I would strongly encourage people to think about that or join a Toastmasters as where you and I met many years ago. We did many, many yes. years ago. Thank goodness yeah. for that. <laughs> Number seven. 
Number seven is pay attention to the tone of your voice as well. And I think this kind of plays into that whole confidence, fake it till you make it, that you are speaking with a strong voice, not a, you know, meek voice that's kind of a little bit, you know, too light and fluffy. We want to stamp our authority in the way that we speak, and you know, that could extend out to the body language as well. That we, you know, rather than kind of looking over, you know, what I'm talking about, like this, that you are saying, "This is what I think," and your body saying that this is what I think, and I've got confidence in what I've got to say, and my tone of voice is that as way that way as well. And when we go back to not responding with anger or upset, that plays into tone of voice as well. <laughs> I'm really, I'm really angry at you, Julie. I just am. <laughs> Why do you go get stuffed? <laughs> there's, there's just one point that I want to make on that one. That Australians by nature have an up tone inflection at the end of our sentences or at the end of our words. We do. We do. <laughs> yes. Tell me more. <laughs> Well, <laughs> what I mean is, <laughs> so, this is what an uptone inflection is, if you haven't caught on to Julie and my little tone there. And you might notice what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. Yes, I am. <laughs> so if you're naturally someone who does finish most of your sentences with an upward inflection, it's really important to have that kind of command because it's more of a command tone if you end your sentences on a downward inflection. What it forces people to do is instead of unconsciously or subconsciously, when you have an upward inflection, your unconscious is asking a question. So if you're making a demand or a, a statement of authority, but you've got an upward inflection at the end, unconsciously the person listening is going to be like are they really serious mm. so if you can adjust that to a downward inflection and a more command tone then the unconscious of the other person is like this person knows what they're talking about i need to listen um with you know without asserting your authority but it, it's just a simple adjustment that can make a big difference in how people are con consuming your information yeah and when you were saying that i say yeah with an upward inflection well, i have i actually finished i actually finished it with an upward inflection because i was like does that make sense <laughs> i thought to myself if someone was to say i think that's a pretty good solution as opposed to i think it's a pretty good solution different as you say it's a different message that you're putting out there mm, mm. yes Look at all these people now. They'll be speaking with a downward inflection or tight. <laughs> no. <laughs> Number eight on my list, and you yes. touched on it before, so we may not need to hover too far for too long on it. Don't be defensive. What are you talking about? <laughs> do you know what I actually, I was going to do another old reference. This is fun. What are you talking about? Well, let's Willis? Oh, it, it is Willis, Willis, isn't it? Willis was the older brother. Yeah. It was Arnold. That said, yeah. What'd you do, Willis? We don't think yeah. What'd you do, Willis? <laughs> so, um, again, we're in the 1980s, people. What's old TV? Actually, I haven't seen Jokes on for a long, long time. I don't know why they haven't rehashed that one, anyway. 
Mm. Maybe it's not, <laughs> not culturally sensitive anymore. I don't think it's culturally appropriate anymore. <laughs> but certainly if you are defensive, that again is acting with an emotional response rather than a cons- well-considered response, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. It goes back to our point number five of don't, uh, sorry, four, avoid anger or upset. Mm. If you feel like you're going to be defensive, then you're going to come across as either angry or upset. Yep. Yep. Number nine is be direct. We can be very wishy-washy beating around the odd bush when we're trying to get a point across, but if we want to stamp our authority, be res- have a res- develop a respected authority, then just be direct. Be kind yet direct. Do you know what I find myself doing sometimes? Mm-hmm. I'll actually say to a client, can I just be really direct? And they're like, okay. Has anybody well, said, no, it- can you please beat around the bush? I far, I, I far like the softer delivery. <laughs> <laughs> but what it does is it actually softens the blow because they are now expecting you to hit them between the eyes. Mm-hmm. And what they've also done is given you permission to hit them between the eyes. When I say this, I'm... I still come across with a sense of empathy and I understand that this might be painful when I say this, but by simply asking for permission, they've opened the door for that direct feedback. So again, on an unconscious level, they're like, we're cool. I've said that this is okay. So I need to be okay with this. So I think that being direct is, is fair. I love um, Brene Brown who says clear is kind. Unclear is unkind. Yeah. So, yeah, so if you're afraid of that word direct, be clear is another way. Mm. When you're you're direct, you are clear in your communications, in your outcomes, not faffing around the bush. And I think that that's very useful. Mm. Yeah, that's it. And it just leads to clarity. If you Mm -hmm. don't have that, if you're not direct, if you're fluffing around too much, You've got a different thing in your mind and you haven't articulated or communicated it effectively for the other person to have any hope of really understanding where you're coming from or what your expectation is. So just be, Mm -hmm. even though sometimes the thing, the reason why we fluff around is because we're afraid of the other person's response if we were to be direct. But it does just Mm -hmm. make everything unclear and then no one gets to the outcome that we want and then they're blamed because they haven't understood properly because you had a different expectation of them. So even though in the moment they may have a response to the thing that you need to be direct about which is not desirable from your perspective, the alternative is not kind, as Brene Brown says. It is not kind and it just makes the situation that little bit worse than it needed to be. So it's best just to rip that Band-Aid off. Be, you know, mm. And they, I've heard people say, can I be lovingly direct? No, mm, I, don't want I love that. Bad. You know, but I I feel it's kinder for me to be, and maybe that's another way of saying it too. In this moment, I feel like it's going to be kinder to be direct. This is exactly what's going on in my head at the moment. What do you think about Mm. that? And just have that level of directness about uh, how you communicate. I love it. Mm. Love it. Uh, One that I added in here as I was going through the list because I was this far down the list and it hadn't come in yet and I felt like it should have, (laughs) is be respectful. (laughs) Just be respectful. Mm. If you want others to respect your authority, your space, that is not a one-sided deal. If you show them respect then and you 
react to them, speak with them, communicate, deal with them with respect, you are modeling the kind of behavior you want them to have onto you as well. Mm. It's such a narrative of the generation that we're in where I think we were raised with that respect your authority. (laughs) (laughs) You know, children should be seen and not heard. And I think that that's really changed now. And if you're a leader of our generation, you cannot, you just cannot operate with that frame of mind. Your position does not give you automatic authority. You have to be respectful of the other person because if you don't, you'll get eye rolls you won't get compliance and people will leave. So, you know, great. You feel like you're the big dog, but you're not actually going to get any value from your team members. Mm, they may do something for you in the moment, but they won't continue doing that. And they certainly won't be happy about doing it. They, as you said at the start, it builds resentment. Yes. Yes, absolutely. One of the things that I think breeds respect, Julie, is we have the narrative of that or the quote, I don't know where it even comes from, about treat others how you would like to be treated. The golden rule has always been treat others the way you would like to be treated yourself. However, the platinum rule is treat others the way they would like to be treated. Mm, And that breeds respect. Boom. Bang. (laughs) If you take nothing else out of this podcast, take that. Because that really is a game changer. People will respect you more as a leader if you're talking to their narrative, to how they want to actually be communicated with. Because the world, much as we would like it to be, doesn't revolve around us, ourselves only. Correct. They've all got their own desires, wants, needs, everything else. But if we're communicating with others on their level, that's going to breed respect and actually breed that authority and the respect within the authority. Mm. And I can't even tell you how beautifully that segues into our point number 11, Shannon. Uh, Which I believe, Julie, on your list of 11, that is number 11 being the last one. No, I've still got three. I didn't count properly before. I've still got three after this one. (laughs) (laughs) I must have counted very well. Uh, but that point number 11 is consider others' reality and opinions. Oh, well, we already did that. We already did that. And very quickly, Jay Abrahams, superstar American business guru, he has, and I've got a snippet of it somewhere hidden away in my computer because I love it, a little video snippet of his, that quite often we are imploring our team members or our employees to see things from the business perspective. You know, we need the business needs this kind of performance from you. The business needs this kind of uh, this kind of acknowledgement from you and the, and the and attendance and all the things that we need. You know, for example, with during COVID, our finances are tight. Things, you know, the business needs this of you from a financial perspective to cut costs and reduce your hours down, etc. But only in only at the point have we first gone to the employee, the team member, and asked what their reality is, acknowledged their reality, allowed them to share and have their their reality heard by us. Only at that point will they care about what the business reality is. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent, and I think that that's a really. This is it, it just goes back to that previous point of once we understand where the other person's coming from, what we do with that, we're more empowered. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, let me jump onto twelve point twelve of <clears throat> fourteen. <laughs> <laughs> Be fair. Brilliant. Nah. <laughs> now we should just treat everyone differently. <laughs> some are going to be my favourite, and some I'm just going to bully. <laughs> and I have everyone's name in the hat, and I pull one out in the morning, and you're the target. Yeah, and you're the lucky one that gets to make me a cup of coffee all day. <laughs> so we do need to be fair and actually that one wasn't on the list initially from the my google search that one came to me as i was writing the list out because charles talks a lot about that one of the core requirements for a happy team is for them to be managed fairly and but i think it lends itself to authority as well i think we look at figures of authority with more respect if they're seen as dealing with people in a very fair way I think that's a really interesting point and allow me to indulge Please. in me. Yeah. <laughs> I was catching up with an old work colleague of mine last night and this person was talking about their experience with their manager and some of the challenges that they were having. And that person was my manager when I was in this employment. I said, it's really interesting that manager, I'm not using gender because I don't want to identify the organization or the manager or what have you. So that manager and I had known each other for a very long period of time and had worked with each other for a very long period of time. And there was a sense of familiarity between us. And so this manager was very direct with me, a little bit dismissive, but I, it didn't worry me because I knew we'd been through a lot. I, I wasn't, I didn't take it personally, but what happened was as the team grew, I actually had a team member comment to me about how inappropriate it was that my manager was communicating with me in that way. And it, what it was doing was actually sending a message to other team members around what was appropriate and what was inappropriate. So if you're not sharing fairness across everyone in the team, then you send an unwritten message to other team members of how appropriate it is to, to treat certain people a certain way. When I, I actually spoke to that manager and said, so, hey, we need to, and, and they were quite, um, they were quite taken aback and they were very conscious of it after that. So, Fairness is really important and it does send messages to the rest of the team. I think it's a huge one. Hmm. Thank you for sharing Good that story. Addition. And well done. I was kept trying to hear for you to refer to the person as a he or a she and you didn't. So congratulations to thee. <laughs> mm -hmm. Number mm -hmm. 13, build your self-confidence. We've covered it to a certain degree in the past, but recognise that your, the building of self-confidence, the most effective way to build your self-confidence outside of faking it till you make it, because you can build confidence <laughs> doing it that way. I've done it many times myself before I've been <laughs> to do anything. But it's just through the doing. Get in there, do the job really well, Make try to make good decisions, and if you don't make good decisions, then reflect, shift the decision around, explain to everybody what's going on. Make the mistakes, take the journey, because that is it's the accumulation of experiences added within that contemplation and constant improvement. That's what gives you self-confidence. Yeah. Look, I've got nothing more to add to that. Well, actually, maybe I'll, just one point, learning. But you said that. Do the job. Reflect on it. I think what creates confidence is is learning 
is being challenged, is making mistakes and learning from those mistakes. So I think self-confidence is a really important part. It kind of goes back to point number six. If you're using filler words, you the perception is that you lack confidence. Um, tone, if your tone is not a command tone, especially when you're looking to get change within the organisation, then that can be a projection of a lack of confidence. What other things that we said that I can... Don't worry about being liked. I think people who are confident, uh, they they hold a steady sense of I'm okay. I'm okay with whatever happens. I, I'm, I've got my ego in check. I'm going to learn and grow. I'm going to show humility. Humility? Humility. Humility. Yeah. Humility. Yeah. Direct pathway <laughs> to self-confidence, your humility. <laughs> <laughs> but that there's that fine line between I don't need to be liked and I'm actually okay with how I am and how I operate in the world. And that actually breeds self-confidence with the over, with the overlay of that. We can always improve and we can always reflect and we can always be a better human. But I think that if within we, when we stand in our power, that there is a sense of confidence around that. Yeah. And I do want to come back to that word you said, learning, like the, the gap between incompetence and competence, therefore, you know, in a certain sense, low confidence, high confidence is that learning gap. Mm. Go out there, seek the skills that you need to learn and master, practice and repeat, keep doing these skills so you do develop mastery in them and that is a sure, sure path to self-confidence. Yeah. Mm. Mm. My final point. Ooh, we My, made it to I'm the gonna, end. I'm going to say final point, but I do have one additional thing just to add afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> this list of 11 is now 44. So... Uh, <laughs> Hang in there. Three hours later. <laughs> Do your job well. You know, oh. you know, just really look at every situation, every conversation, every decision that you need to make and just do your level best to make it very well considered and thought out. Try not to be reactive in the moment. Always have the vision, the goal, the big why in mind when you're making these sort of decisions and, and performing in a particular way. So just try to do your job very well. I think that's a really good point. People if I respect reflect that. On, that's authoritative, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Mm. When I think of leaders who have been put into the position simply because they were a good technician and then they're not performing in that leadership role, the disrespect that comes in and the, the little sort of, I guess there's that, chatter that happens below the surface oh did you see what julie did the yeah. other day i mean god she's a real idiot i mean she expects <laughs> us to follow all of that i think a lot of, of people stuff. have said that Shannon. that sounds familiar <laughs> <laughs> whereas if if i'm like did you see what julie did like that she's awesome she one one thing that a, a past client of mine uh said is I lead by example, I go in and I clean the toilets. Yeah. And he actually did. Part of the thing was that everyone's responsible for cleaning the toilets. Mm. He'll go in there, clean the toilets, make a point of saying, guys, I've cleaned the toilet. You need to clean the toilet. You, you need, you know, so that breeds respect because if I actually say, Julie, you need to clean the toilet and you've got to go in there and clean up my mess. <laughs> it's 
not going to breed respect, is it? <laughs> not again, Brennan. Not after last time. Not after the Indian <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. I mean, if we, you know, we were talking, you know, earlier, there's, you know, there's respect and authority. If it, it is those bosses that do all the things that they're being asked, that they're asking others to do, like clean the toilet, like take out the signs, like, you know, whatever it is, you know, open up all the windows, you know, the blinds and the windows when, when you first open the doors up and not have this hierarchy of I'm above and beyond that, you know, that does absolutely breed respect. There's no question about that. The last point I just wanted to throw in there was model, model, authority mm. figures or characteristics of authority figures that have really impressed you in the past if you don't know how to do the thing how to communicate effectively how to respond in those particular moments how to make clear decisions think of somebody that you've respected in the past and model their behavior mm, i love that um i really wanted to make a joke about like pick your authority figures well like putin's probably not a good one to <laughs> model at this it's clear decision making for sure <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so, big why is different from your own personal values. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just check in, just check in. But I think you're absolutely right. Um, you, your little uh, dog has got a few things to say today. Yeah, I've got the door open, which is a problem because I like the fresh air coming through. But then, you know, if somebody walks down the road two streets away, the dog will bark. <laughs> hmm. I just bring attention to that so that Julie doesn't have to edit out the dog bark. Thank you. Very kind of you. It's not even my dog. It's my beautiful stepdaughter's dog. So, um, Julie, I think that this has been a, a fabulous podcast. Would you like me to do a wicka wicka wow wow wrap 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 wrap? Would you like me to wrap? I'd it love up it. For, I'd for love our it. Audience. Wrap away, baby. So today's podcast was about how to get authority. <laughs> Respect my authority. Number one is be clear on the level of authority, where the levels of authority are in decision-making. Number two, have a key phrase that says, I don't know the answer, but I'll get back to you. <laughs> Number three, fake it until you make it, which is pretty much how Julie and I have been running this podcast. Number four, avoid anger and upset being your response. Number five, five is alive. Don't worry about being liked. No one likes you anyway. Number <laughs> number. Why worry about it? Nothing you can do about it. <laughs> Talk to your therapist about that. Number six, get rid of filler words. Number seven, pay attention to your tone. Number eight, don't be defensive. Number nine, be direct. Number 10, be respectful. Number 11, consider others' others's realities and their opinions. Write that down. Number 12, be fair. Number 13, build your self-confidence. Number 14, do your job well. And number 15, model authority figure. <laughs> I love it. That's a nice round number 15. No, I like a round number of 15. It's three times five for those who know maths. <laughs> we started off with legs 11, now it's three times five. Yeah, I mean, look, scale. you know. are a number scale, that's for sure. It grew. Yeah, I'm good at it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for this episode, Shannon, because it's going to help build my latest lunch and learn that I've got for my club members within the dental practice arena. So thanks. That's tremendous. You are most welcome. You are very welcome to also use my 1980s popular culture references, if you like. 
guardedly I shall. (laughs) (laughs) I shall do that mindfully as we're talking about mindful things before. Mindfully I will. Wonderful. Well, thanks, Jane. I hope you have a fantastic week until we speak next or fortnight until the next episode is published or what do they say, dropped the next episode? Dropped. Yeah, you Who knows what the future yeah. holds, Julie? That's Who right. knows? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you if I see you. <laughs> <laughs> Laters. <laughs> Thanks, Shannon. See you next time. Thanks. Bye.